section three of a far country by winston churchill this librivox recording is in the public domain book one chapter three although i was imaginative i was not morbidly introspective and by the end of the first day of my incarceration my interest in that solution had waned at times however i actually yearned for someone in whom i could confide who could suggest a solution i repeat i would not for worlds have asked my father or my mother or dr pound of whom i had a wholesome fear or perhaps an unwholesome one except at morning bible reading and at church my parents never mentioned the name of the deity save to instruct me formally intended or no the effect of my religious training was to make me ashamed of discussing spiritual matters and naturally i failed to perceive that this was because it laid its emphasis on personal salvation i did not however become an unbeliever for i was not of a nature to contemplate with equanimity a godless universe my sufferings during these series of afternoon confinements did not come from remorse but were the result of a vague sense of injury and their effect was to generate within me a strange motive power a desire to do something that would astound my father and eventually wring from him the confession that he had misjudged me to be sure i should have to wait until early manhood at least for the accomplishment of such a coup might it not be that i was an embryonic literary genius many were the books i began in this ecstasy of self-vindication only to abandon them when my confinement came to an end it was about this time i think that i experienced one of those shocks which have a permanent effect upon character it was then the custom for ladies to spend the day with one another bringing their sewing and sometimes when i unexpectedly entered the sitting-room the voices of my mother's visitors would drop to a whisper one afternoon i returned from school to pause at the head of the stairs cousin bertha ewen and mrs mcelary were discussing with my mother an affair that i judged from the odd tone in which they spoke might prove interesting poor grace mrs mcelary was saying i imagine she's paid a heavy penalty no man alive will be faithful under those circumstances i stopped at the head of the stairs with a delicious guilty feeling have they ever heard of her cousin bertha asked it is thought they went to spain replied mrs mcelary solemnly yet not without a certain zest mr jules hollister will not have her name mentioned in his presence you know and whitcomb chased them as far as new york with a horse pistol in his pocket the report is that he got to the dock just as the ship sailed and then you know he went to live somewhere out west in iowa i believe did he ever get a divorce cousin bertha inquired he was too good a church member my dear my mother reminded her well i'd have got one quick enough church member or no church member declared cousin bertha who had in her elements of daring 
not that i mean for a moment to excuse her mrs mcelary put in but edward whitcomb did have a frightful temper and he was awfully strict with her and he was old enough anyhow to be her father grace hollister was the last woman in the world i should have suspected of doing so hideous a thing she was so sweet and simple jennings was very attractive said my cousin bertha i don't think i ever saw a handsomer man now if he had looked at me the sentence was never finished for at this crucial moment i dropped a grammar i had heard enough however to excite my curiosity to the highest pitch and that evening when i came in at five o'clock to study i asked my mother what had become of jean hollister's aunt she went away hugh replied my mother looking greatly troubled why i persisted it is something you are too young to understand of course i started an investigation and the next day at school i asked the question of jean hollister himself only to discover that he believed his aunt to be dead and that night he asked his mother if his aunt grace were really alive after all whereupon complications and explanations ensued between our parents of which we only saw the surface signs my father accused me of eavesdropping which i denied and sentenced me to an afternoon of solitary confinement for repeating something which i had heard in private i have reason to believe that my mother was also reprimanded it must not be supposed that i permitted the matter to rest in addition to grits jarvis there was another contraband among my acquaintances namely alec pound the scapegrace son of the reverend dr pound alec had an encyclopedic mind especially well stocked with the kind of knowledge i now desired first and last he taught me much which i would better have got in another way to him i appealed and got the story my worst suspicions being confirmed mrs whitcomb's house had been across the alley from that of mr jennings but no one knew that anything was going on though there had been signals from the windows the neighbors afterwards remembered i listened shudderingly but i cried they were both married what difference does that make when you love a woman alec replied grandly i could tell you much worse things than that this he proceeded to do fascinated i listened with a sickening sensation it was a mild afternoon in spring and we stood in the deep limestone gutter in front of the parsonage a little gothic wooden house set in a gloomy yard i thought said i that people couldn't love any more after they were married except each other alec looked at me pityingly you'll get over that notion he assured me thus another ingredient entered my character denied its food at home good food my soul eagerly consumed and made part of itself the fermenting stuff that alec pound so willing distributed and it was fermenting stuff let us see what it did to me working slowly but surely it changed for me the dawning mystery of sex into an evil instead of a holy one the knowledge of the tragedy of grace hollister started me to seeking restlessly on bookshelves and elsewhere 
for a secret that forever eluded me and forever led me on the word fermenting aptly describes the process begun suggesting as it does something closed up away from air and sunlight continually working in secret engendering forces that fascinated yet inspired me with fear undoubtedly this secretiveness of our elders was due to the pernicious dualism of their orthodox christianity in which love was carnal and therefore evil and the flesh not the gracious soil of the spirit but something to be deplored and condemned exercised and transformed by the miracle of grace now love had become a terrible power gripping me whose enchantment drove men and women from home and friends and kindred to the uttermost parts of the earth it was long before i got to sleep that night after my talk with alec pound i alternated between the horror and the romance of the story i had heard supplying for myself the details he had omitted i beheld the signals from the windows the clandestine meetings the sudden and desperate flight and to think that all this could have happened in our city not five blocks from where i lay my consternation and horror were concentrated on the man and yet i recall a curious bifurcation instead of experiencing that automatic righteous indignation which my father and mother had felt which had animated old mr jules hollister when he had sternly forbidden his daughter's name to be mentioned in his presence which had made these people outcasts there welled up within me an intense sympathy and pity by an instinctive process somehow linked with other experiences i seemed to be able to enter into the feelings of these two outcasts to understand the fearful yet fascinating nature of the impulse that had led them to elude the vigilance and probity of a world with which i myself was at odds i pictured them in a remote land shunned by mankind was there something within me that might eventually draw me to do likewise the desire in me to which my father had referred which would brook no opposition which twisted and squirmed until it found its way to its object i recalled the words of jarvis the carpenter that if i ever set my heart on another man's wife god help him god help me a wicked man i had never beheld the handsome and fascinating mr jennings but i visualized him now dark like all villains with a black moustache and snapping black eyes he carried a cane i always associated canes with villains whereupon i arose groped for the matches lighted the gas and gazing at myself in the mirror was a little reassured to find it nothing sinister in my countenance next to my father's face in a moral governor of the universe was his belief in the tariff and the republican party and this belief among others he handed on to me on the cinder playground of the academy we republicans used to wage during campaigns pitched battles for the tariff it did not take a great deal of courage to be a republican in our city and i was brought up to believe that democrats were irrational inferior and with certain exceptions like the hollisters dirty beings there was only one degree lower and that was to be a mugwump
it was no wonder that the hollisters were democrats for they had a queer streak in them owing no doubt to the fact that old mr jules hollister's mother had been a frenchwoman he looked like a frenchman by the way and always wore a skull-cap i remember one autumn afternoon having a violent quarrel with jean hollister that bade fair to end in blows when he suddenly demanded i'll bet you anything you don't know why you're a republican it's because i'm for the tariff i replied triumphantly but his next question floored me what for example was the tariff i tried to bluster it out but with no success do you know i cried finally with sudden inspiration it turned out that he did not aren't we darned idiots he asked to get fighting over something we don't know anything about that was jean's french blood of course but his question rankled and how was i to know that he would have got as little satisfaction if he had hurled it into the marching ranks of those imposing torchlight processions which sometimes passed our house at night with drums beating and fife screaming and torches waving thousands of citizens who were for the tariff for the same reason as i to wit because they were republicans yet my father lived and died in the firm belief that the united states of america was a democracy resolved not to be caught a second time in such a humiliating position by a democrat i asked my father that night what the tariff was but i was too young to understand it he said i was to take his word for it that the country would go to the dogs if the democrats got in and the tariff were taken away here in a nutshell though neither he nor i realized it was the political instruction of the marching hordes theirs not to reason why i was too young they too ignorant such is the method of authority the steel mills of mr durrett and mr hambleton he continued would be forced to shut down and thousands of workmen would starve this was just a sample of what would happen prosperity would cease he declared that word prosperity made a deep impression on me and i recall the certain reverential emphasis he laid on it and while my solicitude for the workmen was not so great as his and mr durrett's i was concerned as to what would happen to us if those twin gods the tariff and prosperity should take their departure from the land knowing my love for the good things of the table my father intimated with a rare humour i failed to appreciate that we should have to live henceforth in spartan simplicity after that like the intelligent workman i was firmer than ever for the tariff such was the idealistic plane on which and from a good man i received my first political instruction and for a long time i connected the dominance of the republican party with the continuation of mana and quails in other words with nothing that had to do with the spiritual welfare of any citizen but with clothing and food and material comforts my education was progressing though my father revered plato and aristotle he did not apparently take very seriously the contention that that government alone is good which seeks to attain the permanent interests of the governed by evolving the character of its citizens 
to put the matter brutally politics despite the lofty sentiments on the transparencies and torchlight processions had only to do with the belly not the soul politics and government one perceives had nothing to do with religion nor education with any of these a secularized and disjointed world our leading citizens learned in the classics though some of them might be paid no heed to the dictum of the greek idealist who was more practical than they would have supposed the man who does not carry his city within his heart is a spiritual starveling one evening a year or two after that tariff campaign i was pretending to study my lessons under the student lamp in the sitting-room while my mother sewed and my father wrote at his desk when there was a ring at the door-bell i welcomed any interruption even though the visitor proved to be only the druggist's boy and there was always the possibility of a telegram announcing for instance the death of a relative such had once been the case when my uncle avery parrott had died in new york and i was taken out of school for a blissful four days for the funeral i went tiptoeing into the hall and peeped over the banisters while ella opened the door i heard a voice which i recognized as that of perry blackwood's father asking for mr parrott and then to my astonishment i saw filing after him into the parlor some ten or twelve persons with the exception of mr ogilvy who belonged to one of our old families and mr watling a lawyer who had married the youngest of jean hollister's aunts the visitors entered stealthily after the manner of burglars some of these were heavy-jowled and all had an air of mystery that raised my curiosity and excitement to the highest pitch i caught hold of ella as she came up the stairs but she tore herself free and announced to my father that mr josiah blackwood and other gentlemen had asked to see him my father seemed puzzled as he went downstairs a long interval elapsed during which i did not make even a pretence of looking at my arithmetic at times the low hum of voices rose to what was almost an uproar and on occasions i distinguished a marked irish brogue i wonder what they want said my mother nervously at last we heard the front door shut behind them and my father came upstairs his usually serene face wearing a disturbed expression who in the world was it mr parrott asked my mother my father sat down in the armchair he was clearly making an effort for self-control blackwood and ogilvy and watling and some city politicians he exclaimed politicians she repeated what did they want that is if it's anything you can tell me she added apologetically they wished me to be the republican candidate for the mayor of this city this tremendous news took me off my feet my father mayor of course you didn't consider it mr parrott my mother was saying consider it he echoed reprovingly i can't imagine what ogilvy and watling and josiah blackwood were thinking of they are out of their heads i as much as told them so this was more than i could bear for i had already pictured myself telling the news to envious schoolmates oh father why didn't you take it i cried by this time when he turned to me he had regained his usual expression you don't know what you're talking about hugh he said 
except a political office that sort of thing is left to politicians the tone in which he spoke warned me that a continuation of the conversation would be unwise and my mother also understood that the discussion was closed he went back to his desk and began writing again as though nothing had happened as for me i was left in a palpitating state of excitement which my father's self-control or sang-froid only served to irritate and enhance and my head was fairly spinning as covertly i watched his pen steadily covering the paper how could he how could any man of flesh and blood sit down calmly after having been offered the highest honour in the gift of his community and he had spurned it as if mr blackwood and the others had gratuitously insulted him and how was it if my father so revered the republican party that he would not suffer it to be mentioned slightingly in his presence that he had refused contemptuously to be its mayor the next day at school however i managed to let it be known that the offer had been made and declined after all this seemed to make my father a bigger man than if he had accepted it naturally i was asked why he had declined it he wouldn't take it i replied scornfully office holding should be left to politicians ralph hambleton with his precocious and cynical knowledge of the world minimized my triumph by declaring that he would rather be his grandfather nathaniel durrett than the mayor of the biggest city in the country politicians he said were blood-suckers and thieves and the only reason for holding office was that it enabled one to steal the taxpayers money as i have intimated my vision of a future literary career waxed and waned but a belief that i was going to be somebody rarely deserted me if not a literary lion what was that somebody to be such an environment as mine was woefully lacking in heroic figures to satisfy the romantic soul in view of the experience i have just related it is not surprising that the notion of becoming a statesman did not appeal to me nor is it to be wondered at despite the somewhat exaggerated respect and awe in which ralph's grandfather was held by my father and other influential persons that i failed to be stirred by the elements of greatness in the grim personality of our first citizen the iron master for he possessed such elements he lived alone in ingrain street in an uncompromising mansion i always associated with the sabbath not only because i used to be taken there on decorous sunday visits by my father but because it was the very quintessence of presbyterianism the moment i entered its portals as mr hawthorne appropriately would have called them my spirit was overwhelmed and suffocated by its formality and orderliness within its stern walls nathaniel durrett had made a model universe of his own such as the deity of the westminster confession had no doubt meant his greater one to be if man had not rebelled and foiled him it was a world from which i was determined to escape at any cost my father and i were always ushered into the gloomy library with its high ceiling with its long windows that reached almost to the rococo cornice with its cold marble mantelpiece that reminded me of a tombstone with its interminable bookshelves filled with yellow bindings 
on the centre table in addition to a ponderous bible was one of those old-fashioned carafes of red glass tipped with blue surmounted by a tumbler of blue tipped with red behind this table mr durrett sat reading a volume of sermons a really handsome old man in his black tie and pleated shirt tall and spare straight as a ramrod with a finely moulded head and straight nose and sinewy hands the colour of mulberry stain he called my father by his first name an immense compliment considering how few dared to do so well matthew the old man would remark after they had discussed dr pound's latest flight on the nature of the trinity or the depravity of man or horticulture or the republican party do you have any better news of hewitt's school i regret to say mr durrett my father would reply that he does not yet seem to be aroused to a sense of his opportunities whereupon mr durrett would gimble me with a blue eye that lurked beneath grizzled brows quite as painful a proceeding as if he used an iron tool i almost pity myself when i think of what a forlorn stranger i was in their company they too indeed were of one kind and i of another sort who could never understand them nor they me to what depths of despair they reduced me they never knew and yet they were doing it all for my good they only managed to convince me that my love of folly was ineradicable and that i was on my way head first for perdition i always looked during these excruciating and personal moments at the coloured glass bottle it grieves me to hear it hugh mr durrett invariably declared you'll never come to any good without study now when i was your age i knew his history by heart a common one in this country although he made an honourable name instead of a dishonourable one and when i contrast him with those of his successors whom i was to know later but i shall not anticipate american genius had not then evolved the false entry method of overcapitalization a thrilling history mr durrett's could i but have entered into it i did not reflect then that this stern old man must have throbbed once nay fire and energy still remained in his bowels else he could not have continued to dominate a city nor did it occur to me that the great steel-works that lighted the southern sky were the result of a passion of dreams similar to those possessing me but which i could not express he had founded a family whose position was virtually hereditary gained riches which for those days were great compelled men to speak his name with a certain awe but of what use were such riches as his when his religion and morality compelled him to banish from him all the joys in the power of riches to bring no i didn't want to be an ironmaster but it may have been about this time that i began to be impressed with the power of wealth the adulation and reverence it commanded the importance in which it clothed all who shared in it the private school i attended in the company of other boys with whom i was brought up was called densmore academy a large square building of a then hideous modernity built of smooth orange-red bricks with threads of black mortar between them 
one reads of happy school days yet i fail to recall any really happy hours spent there even in the yard which was covered with black cinders that cut you when you fell i think of it as a penitentiary and the memory of the barred lower windows gives substance to this impression i suppose i learned something during the seven years of my incarceration all of value had its teachers know anything of youthful psychology of natural bent could have been put into me in three at least four criminally wasted years to say nothing of the benumbing and desiccating effect of that old system of education chalk and chalk dust the mediterranean a tinted portion of the map italy a man's boot which i drew painfully with many yawns history no glorious epic revealing as it unrolls the meaning of things no revelation of that wondrous distillation of the spirit of man but an endless marching and countermarching up and down the map weary columns of figures to be learned by rote instantly to be forgotten again on june seventh general so-and-so proceeded with his whole army where what does it matter one little chapter of carlyle illuminated by a teacher of understanding were worth a million such text-books alas for the hatred of virgil parrot a shiver begin at the one hundred and thirtieth line and translate i can hear myself droning out in detestable english a meaningless portion of that endless journey of the pious aeneas can see jean hollister with heart-rending glances of despair stumbling through cornelius nepos in an unventilated room with chalk-rubbed blackboards and heavy odours of ink and stale lunch and i graduated from densmore academy the best school in our city in the eighties without having been taught even the rudiments of citizenship knowledge was presented to us as a corpse which bit by bit we painfully dissected we never glimpsed the living growing thing never experienced the spirit the same spirit that was able magically to waft me from a wintry lime street to the south seas the energizing electrifying spirit of true achievement of life of god himself little by little its flames were smothered until in manhood there seemed no spark of it left alive many years were to pass ere it was to revive again as by a miracle i travelled awakening at dawn i saw framed in a porthole rose-red seraphus set in a living blue that paled the sapphire the sea ulysses had sailed and the company of the argonauts my soul was steeped in unimagined colour and in the memory of one rapturous instant is gathered what i was soon to see of greece is focused the meaning of history poetry and art i was to stand one evening in spring on the mound where heroes sleep and gaze upon the plain of marathon between darkening mountains and the blue thread of the strait peaceful now flushed with pink and white blossoms of fruit and almond trees to sit on the cliff throne whence a persian king had looked down upon a salamis fought and lost
in that portal glimpse a themistocles was revealed a socrates a homer and a phidias an aeschylus and a pericles yes and a john brooding revelations on his sea-girt rock as twilight falls over the waters i saw the roman empire that scarlet woman whose sands were dyed crimson with blood to appease her harlotry whose ships were laden with treasures from the immutable east grain from the valley of the nile spices from arabia precious purple stuffs from tyre tribute and spoils slaves and jewels from conquered nations she absorbed and yet those very emperors were the unconscious instruments of a progress they wot not of preserved to the west by marathon and salamis with caesar's legions its message went forth across hispania to the cliffs of the wild western ocean through hercynian forests to tribes that dwelt where great rivers roll up their bars by misty northern seas and even to celtic fastnesses beyond the wall end of section three